Hey guys, it's Lori here. Just letting you know that this episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Learn more at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 183. What do you want? Yeah, what do you want? What do you want? This is a question that keeps coming up in a lot of books that I've been reading, and so I'm excited to dive in. But guys, welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast, where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I have alongside me my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle aficionado with the Argyle on his socks today. He made sure to put them on before we came. My husband, Matt Krieg. Hey. Hey, Matt. And we do have with us the ever faithful and most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey. Man, guys, I'm so excited to dive into the conversation today. We're going to let let the tape roll in just a second. And you're this is another one where I, I feel like I'm an evangelist for this episode because it speaks to Jesus and uh, it gets real. We are going to get really real with our dear friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. Now, before we do dive into the conversation, uh, I did want to let you know, you can watch this episode. You can watch me cry (laughs) in this episode. It's another little wink to what's coming up in just a second here. So you can go to YouTube.com. You ever heard of YouTube, guys? You know what YouTube is? The YouTube. The YouTube. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you can search Lori Krieg uh, and you can find this episode with Kurt Thompson. Guys, I am so excited to welcome back to the show today. I think this is time number four, uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson. Kurt Thompson, in case you guys haven't heard the previous episodes with him. Why haven't you? Where have you been? We're, we're gonna, I'm going to shame you right out the gate as we're going to talk about shame. I'm just kidding. I love you and see you know, and accept you. Uh, mm-hmm, mm. What were you going to say? Yeah. I was just say good to know. Good to know who I'm dealing with. Yes, I'm there just, you go. Really glad to know that. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that they're worth a listen. Uh, mm-hmm. We will um, link them in the show notes. Thank you to Jesse, who does all the mm-hmm. linking for us. But Kurt Thompson is a board certified psychiatrist and the founder of Being Known, an organization that develops resources for hope and healing at the intersection of neuroscience and Christian spiritual formation. I think that's one of my favorite intersections, uh, just the, the theology and, and neuroscience and to the, the psychology. So I, I think that's maybe why we appreciate you. One of the reasons we appreciate you so much. He is actively engaged in learning and teaching as he supervises clinical employees and facilitates ongoing education groups for patients and colleagues. He also speaks frequently on the topic at workshops, conferences and retreats. I've been seeing you everywhere, Kurt. I'm seeing you everywhere. I'm like, if gathering, what's he doing? everywhere we were like the same level at one point now he's just shot to the moon <laughs> and his wife i'm just kidding i'm like okay like you i'm gonna give my 10 o'clock patient uh, I'm, you get their slot like we need to have a conversation <laughs> I, it's so you know you're probably not wrong uh kurt so anyway oh i know i'm not wrong i'm just i'm just saying he and his wife, Phyllis, a licensed clinical social worker, are the parents of two children and reside in Arlington, Virginia. Kurt is the author of several books, all of which uh, are worth reading, including his latest book, which I can't stop quoting to everyone, probably because all my issues, Kurt, they're just ministering to me right now. The Soul of Desire, Discovering the Neuroscience of Longing, Beauty, and Community. Welcome back, Kurt. Oh, Laurie and Matt, so good to be with you. Thanks so much. This is, uh, I just look forward to this and I'm really eager to have our conversation today. We are too. Super excited. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is about as excited as I'll get. Yeah, look but at I mean, I am excited. I'm really excited I'm, for this conversation. I'm overwhelmed, Matt. I'm listen to these therapists. They're gonna be back to back. Ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. We're gonna come. We, we can do this all day. <laughs> these therapists and their excitement level to like you know Enneagram sevens. It's like a oh, five. You have no idea. I can get excited. Come on. I love it. All right, Matt, why don't you throw the first uh, the first question at him? Yeah, so guys, we are excited to dive in to this conversation with Barrett, and we're going to do so by hearing a bit more of your story, and we want to ask you this new question. Well, you've already answered from previous ones your, your kind of gospel story. If I am more loved than I imagine, yet more sinful than I believe, how has the gospel been good news? But we want to pose it in the, the very recent form. How has it been good news lately for you? You know, it's, it's uh, like quite literally in the last month, um, well, maybe in the last three months, I've, it's, been, it's become clear to me that there are these parts of me that have uh, lived believing that God is a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of me, but parts of me yeah. that believe that he's a tyrant. And I, uh, that becomes the lens through which I interpret experiences and um, how I then presume he's going to act. And so uh, coming to terms with that and really kind of digging into where some of that, how that emerged in my early years hmm. uh, has been. And, and so um, there's been that. And then I've, yeah, you know, I've, I've been sitting with the the fifty first Psalm and five six seven of Romans, and reading some Tom Wright about that, and it's just uh, upending me this this whole notion of um, again really learning that I've been rescued from like like a commando rescue from. Uh, the power of darkness. And like, you know, it's like you grow up in a world which you hear these things all the time so much they don't really even mean anything. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so kind of immersed in my own culture that it's really difficult. Like, I don't, I don't feel, I've never felt like a slave. So from what have I ever been rescued in some respects? Right. It's not that easy for me to have the, have the, the full awareness of, the, of all the stuff that I've been rescued from. And I think, you know, here I am almost 59 and um kind of coming into a fresh awareness of the depth of what I've been rescued from. And, um, and there's been some real liberation in that regard. Uh, and so I'll, I'll, that's a long winded answer to your question, but that's where, that's, that's where the, the that's the current work site. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting. Cause like literally today I was writing in my journal, just in underlining actually the last few days, that word rescue. And so, Maybe in our 10 o'clock session, we could dive more into that. Is that cool? Is that cool? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. you wrote in your book, you have this question uh, that you, you, you toss around throughout. And again, guys, the book I'm talking about is The Soul of Desire. So that's his latest one that's coming out the beginning of October. Go pre-order just or go get it if you're listening to this after. Um, you, but the question is, what do you want? What's, what's important about that question? Why do you start there? I think in the last several years, um, it, it, it really got impressed upon me that these are the, these are the first words of Jesus in John's gospel. Hmm. This is John one thirty eight. Yep. 
and uh, everything around, I mean, so much around John's gospel is, you know, kind of like a recapitulation of Genesis. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that Jesus is asking John the Baptist disciples, what do you want? God comes to Adam. Where are you? There are, the, there are these similar elements of this that, that, and that, that we, we serve a God who doesn't come first to condemn us, but he really comes to bring light. And part of how we bring light, part of how we do light in psychotherapy is that we ask questions. And we're not asking questions rhetorically. We're not asking questions just to fill up time. We're asking real questions. And my, uh, my sense is that this question, it's not the only important question in the gospel. It's not the most important question. We're not presuming that. But I'm struck with how this question gets. Jesus is, is, is asking it with the assumption that what I want is a really, really big deal. Mm-hmm. And that God takes that desire because he's made it. He's put eternity in our hearts, not just in terms of our time awareness, but in our awareness of depth of experience and longing. And in that regard, because God has made us in that way, that's how he's going to, he's going to like come to us on the terms by which he's made us. Mm. And, um, I think that for many of us, uh, myself, not the least, um, to answer, you know, when we ask, what do you want? Well, I'm, I'm not really sure what I want. Or please, could you tell me what the right answer to that question is so I can have it so that when I answer it, I won't get in trouble for really naming what I want. And then, of course, you, you can imagine that, you know, if I, if I say that I, I, I want whatever, I mean, in, in real concrete terms, you can say that you can see that Jesus isn't going to stop there. Mm. he's going to continue to ask more and more, well, what, what is it about that that you want? What is behind that? And what is behind that? Not because he's trying to, uh, you know, we're not, we're not trying to, we're not being given an examination to see if we get the right answers on the test. He's trying to bring us to himself. Mm. And he's trying to do it in such a way that he's not twisting our arm. He's not forcing the pace. He's, uh, he, he, he's only going to do it you know, God wants willing partners. Mm. And um, it's really difficult when so much of my desire has been wounded by shame and trauma. And then I end up misdirecting it. And I think that I want certain things. And in fact, I have enough practice uh, acquiring those certain things very, very quickly. And so I don't really have to, especially in our culture, I don't really have to delay gratification for very much, which, you know, it trains me to think that I, whatever it is that I want, I can have yesterday. Mm. Um, and so when I don't, when I, when, I keep, when I keep longing for things and there's still the ache, there's still the thirst, there's still the hunger, um, I'm, I'm left in this really vulnerable place. Like, I don't, I don't really quite get it. I've spent all my money. I've used all, I've used every app on my phone. Like what the heck? Right. And, and still Jesus says, what is it that you want? And I'm like, I, I, what else is there to want? Like I, I've run out of all the options that I've made that I've created. And this is when he comes with himself mm. and undoes us. Mm. Because um, I, what I really want, I want to be loved. I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to be wanted. And, I, and, and even though it terrifies me, I even want to be wanted by you 
including the parts of me that I hate the most. Wow. And, uh, and, and Jesus is saying, like, I'm all in. Yeah. And the parts of you that you hate the most, I'm not afraid of that. And you can't make me leave the room. Mm-hmm. But the really wondrous thing about his asking this question is that he has no intention of simply stopping with us naming what I want, because once we do, then he says, I now have work for you to do. Yeah. I have work for you to do because you want more than just to be known. You want to be known so that you can do the thing I've also made you to do. And that is to make things in the world. Yeah. That is to create beauty and goodness and to do that especially just like I'm going to do it in the places where, you know, heretofore nobody can imagine beauty ever emerging. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I, I love what you're saying. And, and as, as a nine on the Enneagram, I'm sure you're familiar. Um, so a I, peacemaker <laughs> for those who are Well, I'm a unfamiliar. peacemaker, but I also am oftentimes very unattuned with my own emotion because I'm so quickly coming alongside in my, in my worst moments, I'm just coming alongside and kind of matching other people's emotions, other people's desires. And, and I'm not actually paying attention to what I want. I'm not, I'm not taking stock of my own like desires. And then it's like, once they hit, once I actually recognize this maybe false desire, I like to go to James chapter one, the whole like progression, like it's our evil desires that lead us into temptation. Temptation leads to sin. It's like I'm running down that path. And, and the first time I recognize this desire in myself is oftentimes when I'm in like temptation and recognize like, okay, something, something's kind of misordered here, you know, and, and, my desires, when I leave it like that, they often go to this consumptive place, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, material goods, whether it's, you know, sexuality, whether it's food, whether whatever, it's this consumptive thing. And you're talking about, okay, God created us with these desires for, for creative endeavors. And, and yet they have to be mm-hmm. kind of ordered and taken to him first to, to recognize like, okay, what is, what are we supposed to do with these? Um, and in, in your, in your like experience and all the work that you've done, why is it that we so quickly run to these consumptive places and don't actually desire God in, in a way that, that he created us for? You know, Matt, um, I think if uh, I had the answer to that question, actually, I think I would, you know, I, I, I'd be done working in some mm-hmm. respects. I mean, I, and I think that, that, that we're all asking this question, why do I do the things that I, why do I run in that direction? And I, I don't know, I, I don't know, you know, if we, if we go all the way back to the very beginning to before the beginning and so forth. And so I don't know that I have the exact answer to that, but here's my reflection from the biblical text. There does seem to be this experience that we witness in Genesis chapter three, where you coming off of Genesis 2, where the man and his wife are naked and unashamed, and they stand on the precipice of great creativity, of stewarding the earth, of going forth, of being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth. And along comes this conversation with the serpent, and there is a wound 
that happens in the conversation. And the wound takes place in such a way that no one is apparently going to be able in Eve's sphere, not even Adam, who appears by all accounts to be present. Not even Adam is able or willing to enter into the conversation. And the wound then ends up taking up residence in a place in her heart in isolation. Mm. And so like all things, I mean, you know, Paul talks about this in Romans six and seven, this whole notion about the law, that the law is this good gift, but sin parasitically joins it. And out of this, my sin becomes maximized. In the same way, go, we have this in many respects, as, as Tom Wright would say, like that reflects Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4. This notion that there is a wound that takes place in each of us. We have different kinds of wounds that take place. And in the middle of these wounds, my penchant is what we tend to do in response to this shame, in response to this fear, is that I will do what is expedient as a way to regulate and care for my wound. And so my desire, instead of it becoming an agent of creativity and of generosity and of generativity in which I'm creating beauty that we're going to give away to others. And the joy that I experience is what I witness when I see others basking in the things that you and I have made together. Instead, I can't like I'm cut off from having access to that kind of joy. And the only thing I see is to consume, is to take, right? She takes the fruit from the tree. She doesn't receive it. She takes it. I take, I consume, I hoard, I don't desire, I devour. Mm. And the thing is for me, like, I mean, this has been like, you asked the, the first question at the top of our time. I've been doing this since I was a kid. Yeah. And I'm doing it in ways that I like, I, I mean, I, 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 like, I wasn't, thinking when I was a teenager that this is what I'm doing, but this is really what I'm doing. I'm, I'm coping. I'm devouring in this way. I'm consuming as a way to cope with the wound. And most of what I mean, we don't, like, I don't know I'm doing that. I'm just living my life. And I don't perhaps initially have enough negative feedback. I don't suffer enough initially to have any sense that what I'm doing is creating too much of a problem. And of course, this is part of evil's, brilliance mm. evil's brilliance is to kill us slowly right well, he's just going to eat us one bite at a time devour us one mouthful at a time it's not so that we there's no sense in which like oh my gosh i can see the awful thing is coming and so we're going to marshal all of our defenses no i'm i you know he starts with me when before i'm even born i mean this is david in one in 51 psalm right like i was a sinner at conception like there's something about me that's even coming out of the womb, wounded, yeah. and at the ready to consume rather than to create. Mm. Hey, Matt, have you noticed? I've been using a different Bible lately. I have. Is it a CSB? Yes, it's a Christian Standard Bible. It's the She Reads Truth one. Are you telling me that you don't just talk about the CSB on ads like this, but you actually read it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> I do actually read it. I'm reading the She Reads Truth one every day now for a bunch of reasons, but the biggest one is I love the margins. I love writing the date and some prayers and real life stuff in it. Do you write about me in there? Um, yes. Like 
Thank you, Jesus, for how awesome my husband is dated every day of my life. Um, no. <sighs> okay, seriously, guys listening, I am loving not only the margins where I can write only gratitude to the Lord for my awesome husband, Matt, but I love that it was edited by women and the devotionals in it are actually uplifting and not fluffy or patronizing. And the timelines... Each book of the Bible has this timeline that helps me to understand what's happening in this book in relationship to the rest of the canon of the Bible. Okay, fine. That's fine. (laughs) Even if you write real stuff about me in it. Okay, well, you can get one too and write real life prayers about me in it. You know your girl needs them. Yeah, well, I need them too. (laughs) So where can I get this Bible or another Bible like it? Well, you can find the She Reads Truth Bible or any of the CSB versions by hitting up csbible.com. So you have, and we're not going to dive necessarily right this second into your confessional communities, um, but these are groups of people, for those who aren't, haven't read the book or don't know, if, if you want to say group therapy, can I say the word group therapy in, in a conjunction? I know it's probably offensive because there's so much more than that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and we, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So for those of you, group therapy. So there's groups, these confessional communities, which I hope we dive more into those. But there are two people in one of those. Um, And I'm just going to read what you wrote and then just ask you to help us understand this. So you said, culture told William, this is one of the guys in there, he wanted to have sex with Ella, not his wife. Uh, The biblical narrative told him he wanted to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure. And while that these desires were being activated by his interactions with Ella, they had their origins in early developmental events and would find their consummation in God. So there's like, 10 things going on there are at least four but here i'm just gonna i'm gonna contextualize it in my world and then just ask you to help us understand that so if i had a dollar for the amount of times in the last two weeks i've had people say to me i just want to go throw off everything i believe about jesus and go be crazy (laughs) just just dive into my desires and often sexual desires of Mm -hmm. a myriad of variety what it doesn't honestly the variety doesn't really matter it's just they're like i don't think following jesus is worth it and it's often a sexual default so can you unpack again back to william and ella he thinks what he needs or desires is sex with her but you say these four words seeing soothed, safe and secure help us under so help us understand the sexual default and then those four things (laughs) if you want to throw in his trauma Mm -hmm. wounding go for it but here, I'm just presenting that to you. Why do we go to sex when those are the things underneath? So we'll start with the things underneath. Those sure. four words uh, that were first coined uh, by Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson in some of their earlier work. And, 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 and the way Dan uses the, the fourth word is different than how I use it. I use it, I use it differently. But we, we talk about this notion that every in, in order for secure attachment to develop, we really require, and this is kind of shorthand for it, but it's really effective shorthand. We really require those four experiences. When we, you know, in you know, newborns, infants, toddlers, we, we need to be seen first. The newborn comes into the world. She, he has to be seen, right? There they are. There, and if we just didn't see them, like there they would be dangling by the umbilical cord. Right. We have to see them in order for them to be soothed. Because we all have things, appetites, in, in order to be soothed. 
And with those two things in play over time, we eventually discover that we are living in an environment that is safe. And by safe, meaning like I can move it around and I can have experiences in which I can even maybe take a little risk here and there. Like I can like stumble and fall and scrape my knee, but I'm ultimately still able to be comfortable and confident, safe in the world in which I live. But beyond that, then when we talk about security, then if I have those first three, I then learn that I can actually move into places where I can take risks where I don't know the outcomes yet. I can even venture out into the world, whether it's going to preschool or going to college or going to my new job or going into whatever the thing is. And I might make mistakes. I might get hurt. Bad things might happen. But I have a grounding of being seen, soothed, and safe to which I can continually return. And this is how secure attachment emerges. We have these first three things that then enable me to go out into the world. And even in the world, I can, I can create things. And beauty and goodness will emerge. But remember, evil is going to come for us because it's not going to go quietly into the night. And so things will happen that will be hard. But when they do, I return to this place of being seen, soothed, and safe. Mm-hmm. And this process of those four S's is necessary for us until we're dead. This isn't just something that happens in the first three years of life. And then like, we no longer need it. (laughs) I need it when I'm sitting in the boardroom. I need it when I'm having a fight with my wife. I need like all the things, these things are in play. It is fair to say that in some way, shape or form, when we are, uh, when we discover that these, these longings that we have are moving in a direction that appears to be outside the biblical framework We can guarantee that one or more or all of those four S's are in play. Something's not happening where I am not being seen, soothed, safe, or felt to be secure. And those are not, and, and, and part of the, the challenge is that, of course, like I have this sense that I have these, I have these desires and my job is for me to manage them on my own. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of how we've been made interpersonally, neurobiologically, the whole point of the communion of saints, the whole point of the family of God is that there's no way in the world I can, like, I can steward my desires by myself. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. We were never made to. Adam and Eve were never made to steward their each individual desires by themselves. This is a communal, communally intended purpose of creativity. When we find these two, when we, this, this character, William, in, in, this, in this vignette, what we find is that when, when he really wants this desire, and, and like, why does sex get wrapped up in it? One, one, one thing that I would say that seems, that appears to me, and I, I, I don't, like, I'm not an expert on sexuality, per se. But one thing that we do know is that our sexuality is the, there, there's no more part of our physical experience in the world that is a more powerfully tied to what it means to create Mm. whether we're married or not whether we're having children or not it does like this is this this is like in the same way that we got 23 pairs of chromosomes like our like this part of us is a big deal this this reminding us that i was made to make things Mm. and it's remind i'm reminded in my body right and it is also, there's also no part of us that is more vulnerable, mm-hmm. even right down to the very physicality of it, right? Like I can bang my wrist on a door jam walking through it. And like, it doesn't hurt it. Somebody hits me in the crotch. Like, it, <laughs> like I drops me to my knees, right? right? This is a problem, <laughs> right? And you'd like to think like, well, God, why couldn't you have made my sexual organs like 
a little less vulnerable. Mm. And we and so we see then that these two things, this 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 vulnerability and this kind of sense of creativity are wrapped up physically in such a way. And it's also in such a way that like I can easily privatize it. And we now have a world that's fully willing to cooperate with that, that I'm going to do this. Like I'm, I'm going to manage this. I'm going to I'm going to do that like on my own. It is it is for me. Mm. I don't imagine it being for others. Right. I don't imagine it being for the notion of creativity, whether I'm married and having kids or not. Mm. And so, and of course, we have early practice with this. I mean, like how many, like I was with somebody, oh my gosh, well, well, who, who, who's telling the story of how when they were six years old, six, eight, 10 years old, they're taken by relatives and they are starting to, they're, they're shown, you know, pornography videos. And so like, and then they, they stand around and they masturbate and they're told like, this is what it means for you to grow up to be a man. Uh. Now, this is what they're being trained to do as a young kid. Uh. And so we're not surprised. And then and, and like, this is not, this is not a 21st century problem. Alone. Like, like th- this is not new, right? This, this is not new. I mean, the Romans, if you were a Roman citizen, you could have sex with whoever you wanted, whenever you wanted. And so, this it has to do with this sense that there is nothing that is more beautifully fragile, that is more deeply connected to creativity, that is more vulnerable, that evil will want to access, to divert my desire into devouring. Mm. And so it's it, it happens for you know for for most human beings in some way shape or form. Now not everybody has the same kind of wounds. Not everybody has wounds in the same degree along these particular lines. And some of it's not even just about like wounding by somebody else. It can have to do with our own kind of particular temperament, our own particular like sense of things, like how we come out of the womb. There's lots of ways in which this happens. But the key is, like as far as I'm concerned, is that when this happens. And, and this is the thing for William, right? What I want William to do is to be able to name these things. What part of my life that is not being seen, soothed, safe, or secure am I now trying to acquire and resolve through this particular dimension of my life? Mm-hmm. And once we start to ask those questions, we discover, oh, turns out this at the end of the day isn't actually about sex after all. This is about something that sex at the end of the day, like, isn't really able to deliver on like it can it can distract me for a while from it right i can have the orgasmic release but then what and i don't like that's not what i like i'm not looking for this to be over yeah (laughs) yeah well and i i often like especially if i'm working with someone who is maybe dealing with a pornography addiction like have to go through some of that like that sex is not the answer here because if, if sex, if that release was the answer, then yeah, your addiction would be stifled, you know, maybe once every three days from a biological kind of space, if it was purely about like that release and it's not, you know, and you can, you can have sex every day and not feel seen, soothed, safe, or secure in your life. And, and so, right. it, yeah, it goes, it goes so much beyond that. Right. I think the other thing that, that, that we find in these confessional communities is that, um, and maybe we're uh, intending to get to this. I think part of the issue for us, uh, and when, when, when it comes to desires that 
that that we you know even once we name desires that are legitimate that aren't happening so for instance how many of us have the desire to be seen like by our dad by our mom Mm -hmm. how many of us are in relationships with friendships or with marriages where we're not being seen or soothed in ways that we that that are legitimately valid Mm -hmm. how many of us have desires that are simply not going to be realized we have these longings that we're not going to see and so we also talk about we're, we're people of grief like this is, this is an important thing to name, that there are parts of my soul, there are wounds that I experience the, about which I still grieve, mm. but I'm still working through that grief. And again, what's most important for us is to be able to be in a space where when I say, this is where I still am, you can hear that and say, Kurt, this is really hard. And if you need to keep talking about this for the next 10 years, like I'm not leaving the room and we're going to do this together. Dang. Uh, I don't know how to ask the next question because I have tears in my eyes. (laughs) So good. Hmm. And the reason it's so good. So Matt, I know we're kind of going all over the the page here, but we, we need to, I think we need to go here next. So two days ago, so I was reading your book. And I, I felt a place in my heart, that grief you were talking about. And I knew I had been carrying it mildly alone. You know, Matt knows about it, maybe another friend. But I read this from you about how it takes less than three seconds for the neuroeffective effects of shame to register in the mind, changing the contours of our felt sensations and perceptions. And it takes 30 to 90 seconds for us to fully receive the emotional load of a compliment of a bid for attachment or the gift of goodness directed our way. So shame disintegrates our minds and mm. the, the withness, the compliments can help to integrate it. Additionally, you talk about gazing, helping to integrate and shame disintegrating. So I texted my friends, uh, three close friends uh, who are in our small group. And I said, I just need to be seen in this space. Mm. And, mm. and so I just mm. shared it and mm. it was even a, in a text mm. and I didn't, you know, I wasn't like, you guys have to fix this. I think that's a natural knee jerk, but can you just talk about the presence, the, the present of presence of people and how it affects both our minds, but just what you just said, if you want to talk about this for 10 years and be in grief, I'm with you. You know, Laurie, I, I think for me, um, You know, I'm reminded of what we were talking about earlier, this whole notion of being rescued. Yeah. Like, God rescues because first he sees, and then he comes for us. Yeah. And, you know, the whole notion of Emmanuel, the whole notion that Jesus, Jesus isn't like a chair in the room. Sometimes we walk in and we notice it. And sometimes we walk in and we actually go over and sit down. And sometimes we don't notice it at all. He's not like, he's not inert. His presence is active. He, there is a withness that is not inorganic, that is very alive and moving toward us. Mm. And he's never been more present than he was on Good Friday. Like, he wasn't just paying a price. He was 
like, that's how we describe what necessary. Like, of course, this is what had to happen because, like, this is what happens if God's going to get this close to us, be this present with us. Right. And I think that you know one of the things that we recognize that happens in therapy. One of the things that we recognize that, then I would say that like it happens in therapy because this is how we've been made from the beginning to operate as human beings, and that is that like you know you sit. You sit in a room with anybody who's suffering and they see you seeing them and their suffering necessarily changes. Mm. You don't have to tell them anything. You're just going to be present with them. One of the things that we as human beings way underestimate is the power that God has imbued within us to be present with others. In such a way that like you, uh, I'm going to be with you in the sense of being empathic, in the sense of being um, faithful. I'm, I'm in, in the sense that like if we have to uh, keep talking about this for a long time, this, that's, that's how long it's going to take. Uh, one of the common features of these confessional communities is that someone will talk about it, something that they've never talked about with anybody. And in that moment, they will have this unexpected awakening of joy and relief because they've never been listened to in this way by this group of people. And they will uh, find themselves in like this place of delight and they will go home and they will discover that somewhere in the next one to six weeks, those old feelings will return and something else will crop up. And the same thing that they're still working on, something else happens in their home, with their marriage, with their parents, with whoever. And they've got to come back and talk about it again. And they're like, no, I shouldn't have to do this right? because I, I already I already did that. And you already listened to me once. And so then one of the next hurdles of the shame that we have to get over is the shame of like, I have to keep talking about this. And that somehow indicates that there's something wrong with me, that my sanctification process like somehow didn't magically all get cleaned up at once. And this is part of the practice, right? When we say that Jesus comes for Peter like three times, 33 times, who knows how many times he had to talk to him in John 21 about <laughs> like, do you love me? It's because Peter's shame was so tightly wrapped around his ankle, you know, that it, it like, Jesus has to, it, like, it takes time to do this kind of work. Mm. And so for the friends that you texted to, yeah. I would want them to be able to say to you, sister, you text us as often as you have to until you're dead. We're coming for you. All right, this turned into real life therapy, yeah. but I'll take it, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, and this is something that I mean, I can I can think of a dozen of my clients just off the top of my head that I, I'm really excited for them to hear this because oftentimes, like, yeah, if you share something, if they share something in a community, they feel like, okay, now that I've been seen one time, I have to go and they replace those four S's that you describe with the two S's, I guess, of self-sufficiency, you know, and, and they feel like yeah. because there's a continued struggle, that's somehow a marker of a character flaw that, that they, that they are somehow created with this, you know, robotic sense of, I am supposed to just be able to do it, you know, and, right. Right. and I feel like that's something that we fight all the time. Um, right. You, you get this, 
you know, in this community where people come and they share and they're hopefully received just with a lot of acceptance and, and empathy. How can we start, I guess, within our own communities to, to develop, you know, this, this type of space where, where people can come and feel safe to, to share, to be open and to know that they're going to be received with, with grace and, and acceptance and affirmation, not, not with like shame. Well, I, I, it's, a, it's a great question, Matt, and I, it, it's, it's one of the most common questions that we get asked, and I, I'm going to get to that, but I, I want to I say one last thing about where we just were. One of the ways that neuroscience can actually be helpful for us in this regard, and getting back to why is it that it only takes less than three seconds to you know, register and embed shame and 90 seconds to begin to do that with a compliment, and a lot of it has to do with neuroplasticity. And so one of the things that we can do to help encourage people is to recognize that when you have that moment of feeling felt, of being seen, and especially you're having that moment in response to in relationship with something that you've never shared with anybody before in that context, it's important to remember that that new, fresh, beautiful thing you've experienced is a representation of a new, a brand new network of neurons that has just fired for the mm. first time. I don't mean the felt sense of joy, but the felt sense of joy it is now as it is now associated with that particular part of your story. Wow. And that is a neural network that is like a newborn baby. And it will need to be strengthened. Mm. It's like you sit down for the first time to play the piano and you're like, gosh, I, you know, I played this little tune and it was really good, but I like, I want to play Beethoven's fifth piano concerto, which means you're going to practice this a lot, which means necessarily we will have to come back to this a lot frequently because we are practicing strengthening those new neural networks to a point where at some point down the road, it will feel much more like breathing for you to know the sense of relief and rescue but not because it's magic, but because you have been working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. And this is what happens in the brain when we do. But we have to do it most, we do it most effectively in the context of community where other minds can support that process. And so how do we start to like move into that space? First of all, I, I want to acknowledge that I think that this is the kind of work that when people do it, will they will find that there's no uh, more beautiful work that they do and there's no more difficult work that they do. Mm-hmm. And the very notion, like I, like I, I, I want to be asymptomatic, but I don't know that I necessarily want to be well. Mm. Right. The work that is required to be well Right. The work that is required in John seven, when Jesus meets the, you know, the, the cripple, at, at, you know, and he says, do you want to, you know, do you want to be made well? Mm. Well, let me check. I don't have a job. I'm, you know, all the things that, <laughs> that, 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 that kind of push against this. And so, you know, when people say, well, Kurt, how do you start these groups? How do you do like, well, I mean, like, you know, you move to Arlington and like call our office. That's, that's how you do it <laughs> right. at, at, one, at one level. But another level, like what we say is like, we, we start by, I, I want you to, I want you to imagine one or two people. 
You don't have to pick 10 people, one or two people with whom you would be willing to start down this path. And at the last, in the last chapter, we've got, you know, just kind of a bit of an outline of, kind of like, what are, what are some things for people to begin to do to do this? And we can say to those one or two friends, here's what I want to do. I want to be more effectively known. I'd like to do this with you. I've got a, I've got a couple of books here that we're, I'd, like, I'd like for us to walk through this with as a way to model this. Would you be willing for us to just start by telling each other our stories? And if the two of us can do this, then we, maybe, we can think of a third or maybe a fourth person to join this. Now, we, I, I think the other thing, too, that's important for us to recognize when I say this is hard to do, um, Paul Borgman in his book, Genesis, the story we haven't heard, he emphasizes uh, how God in the Old Testament, when he calls Abraham, he's seriously looking for partners. God, like God could just like do whatever he wants to do, but he really wants like this whole thing of co-laboring with Jesus, the whole thing like Jesus has disciples and then he sends them out. Like, that doesn't seem like a very good business model to me. But like, this is what God's doing because he takes us this seriously in the same way that the Jews were in chosen, intended to be a blessing to the nations. That plan hasn't changed. Mm. And so God wants partners. And Borgman writes, who knows how many people God asked to go with him to Canaan before Abraham finally agreed we don't know because there's no story there. And Jesus comes along and who knows how many people Jesus asked to follow him who even before we get to Peter, James and John said, no, I got to go bury my dad. No, I got to go check out the land. I just bought all the things. I want to say to us, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to ask people to do the hard work and, and people say no. Mm. Or people say like, I think what you're doing is weird. <laughs> or people saying like, no, I just need to go to church every Sunday, my small group every Wednesday night. And that like, that's all I need. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, like mucking around with all this stuff. Like, it's way too hard. It seems way too messy. Like, like I got, I got, a, I got a tea time on Saturday morning. Like, and so these, these are the things that we tend to do. And so it's important for, I think people to know, Jesus knows this is hard. Mm. And there's a reason why he said the gate is narrow and not wide. But we ask, and then we take the first few tentative steps into telling our stories, always bearing in mind that we are people of longing. What, what is it that we want? And being asking the question, what's, what's underneath that and what's underneath that? We are people of great longing. And to acknowledge that we are people of great grief. One of the things that we discover when we're in therapy in general, but especially in these groups where you notice when people get really anxious, and you know this, we, we know that when we are anxious, the first thing that I'm thinking like, well, first of all, I shouldn't be anxious. I'm, I'm a believer. I shouldn't be anxious. But then I, so there's something wrong with that. And then like, well, I just shouldn't, well, what is the thing that I'm anxious about? And then I name the thing that I'm worried about. What we don't do, but that is behind all of this. We don't answer the question, what is it that I really want? Hmm. Well, I want to not be anxious. No, that's what I don't want. I, uh, I want my son to flourish. And right now there's a lot of evidence that would indicate that he's not. I want my marriage to be more than dead. I, I want to, I want to support my family. I'm at risk of losing my job. Like I'm anxious about losing the job, but because like what makes me anxious is because of what's underneath. Like, what is it that I want? What are my desires? What are my griefs? 
I need to name my griefs in the face of my longings and recognize that sometimes life is to be found even when my longings are not. Jesus comes to us and says, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Like, that's the way it's going to be. But then he doesn't just say, like, but it's okay. He says, be of good cheer. I'm like, what? Be of, like, I don't like, like in the middle of, in the middle of whatever it is, right? Be like to your friends, Laurie, who say like, I just want to give it all up and just go like, do whatever, do whatever my body wants to do. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, even in this space, like, I want to know, like, what is it that you really want? Mm-hmm. Well, I want to have this kind of a relationship and like, it, it's not happening. I want to have this kind of life and it's not happening to which it's really important for us to be able to say, I really get it. This is really hard that you want this and that you don't have it is a really painful thing. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of grief because this is who we are, this side of the full embodiment of the new heaven and new earth. This is really hard and I'm not leaving the room. Uh, it's so good. Uh, okay, so we have one last question for you and then we're going to ask how people can find this book and your resources. So where this is like like our gospel question, this is what we're ending this season with it, but I really want to know, why is Jesus worth following still, even now in 2021. Uh, you know, I, I read that when you sent the notes and I thought, I, you know, my, um, of course, I would have questions about the nature of the question and how it is that we, right, how it is that we even, how it is that we even, frame that and when we say well why why is he worth and i, and I would say uh you know leslie newbegin in his commentary on the gospel of john talks about how when the light comes it necessarily casts shadows this is what happens when light shows up we turn the light on in the room and there are shadows that are cast in some places and those shadows are cast not least by me mm. the parts of me that uh, are too blinded by the light. The parts of me that are, um, that, that when the light comes, it reveals the parts of me that I haven't seen. And that when I see them, I, like Peter, say, leave. I can't be in your presence. I follow you. Like, I can't even be in the, like, I, I can't even, I can't even be with you. And I think, you know, what I would want people to know, I mean, when we, like we're, you know, when we ask like, why is Jesus worth following? You know, I, I, and I, 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 I'm aware of your intention and desire in asking the question. And it strikes me that like to answer that, I would have to have some sense of who I experienced Jesus to be mm-hmm. because I have all this other stuff banging around and Jesus feels like he's a bit, I can only vaguely see him through the mist. And if that's all that I can see, like, why am I going to follow that? Mm. And that's why I would say, um, do we long to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure? And do we long to be in the world with someone who's going to come for us and who's not ever leaving the room and who is going to make um, 
unimaginable demands that we will eventually see as his craftsmanship. Because as we like to say that we were not just made to make beauty, we were made to become beauty. And Jesus is the closest thing I've seen to one, not a thing, but a person who can enable me, but not by myself, only with you to live into the beauty that I really long to become. Amen. And I'm only, and I'm only going to have that. I'm, I'm only going to have that experience if I'm running into real human beings who are living that out. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> so people might as well say, you know, when you ask like, why is Jesus worth following? I'd say, well, why is it worth having Laurie and Matt as friends? <laughs> like you're asking the same question. Like that's the, it's the same exact question. Mm. Like I, I'm like, look, if I, like if I, if I get to have two friends in the world, like I just want to be Laurie and Matt because like, I know that they're always going to come for me and they're not ever going to leave the room. And, and they're not going to like treat me with kid gloves. Like they're going to, they're going to like be with me and they're going to place demands on me because like there are things that they see. There's a realm that they see in my life that I can't see. And that's the person I want to be with. And if they tell me that there is a person that's behind all of who they are and I want to be with them, then I want to be with that guy. <laughs> I don't know how to follow this. <laughs> I'm just going to start crying harder. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thank you. For your time for, for this work. I'm I'm I mean, Lori's been hogging the book since since we had it and <laughs> and I've gotten to read like three paragraphs and I'm super excited for, for reading more and super excited for when it actually comes out because it will be on pre order. But how can people find this book? How can people come to know and, and recognize the God that sees them, you know, pursues them and will not leave the room? Um, so you can, uh, you, you can find it through InterVarsity Press. And right now, if you go to IVP, so the, the Soul of Desire, if you go to InterVarsity Press's website, um, they're actually less expensive than Amazon is right now. That's what's up. So you can get it there. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, you, can, you can get links through my website, KurtThompsonMD.com. And, um, you know, we've, I've got this little podcast that we've been doing uh, that launched in March and season three, we're just in the middle of recording it and it's going to be on the book. And so that'll be coming up. Uh, that'll be launching uh, in early October. We're just after just right around the time the book officially comes out. Um, and then you, you'll hear more about it. Yeah. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and um, that would be uh, lovely for people to do, but you, you all have been so kind in inviting me to come and it's always a pleasure to, hang out with you guys. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. We obviously so appreciate you and um, just you're seeing, seeing us today and, and helping us experience truly, like truly like Jesus love in mm. this podcast. So thank you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Thanks be to God. Oh man. <laughs> guys, I need to mop myself up. Uh, Maybe some of you listening need to as well. Uh, and while you're while you're doing that, do go check out the Soul of Desire and the uh, links. We will have them in the show notes to what Kurt just talked about. Just follow him. He's a good follow. He's such a good friend. And go, guys, 
live out and spread the good news of the gospel in a world that's so desperate and hungry for it, and that includes our own selves. Thanks again, Kurt Thompson, and for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We will see you next week.